Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the GC Live post-game show. South Carolina improves to 5-2 and two on the year, and for the first time since 2013, yes, 2013, nearly 10 years, they have a four-game winning streak. Now, look, uh, let's just call it for what it is. Was it a pretty win tonight? No. But at the end of the day, it is a win. And listen to this. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. South Carolina plays Missouri next week at home. Missouri, Missouri barely beat Vandy tonight, 17-14. The Gamecocks are going to have an opportunity to become bowl eligible before the end of the month of October. Think about that. Think about that. Uh, Michael Skarnacki is going to be joining us shortly. He's caught in the traffic because there's a lot of people that uh, either went to the game or they're trying to get a corn dog across the street at the state fair and intern Joe will hop on with us shortly so we can take your calls. But in the meantime, if you have a comment, shoot it on in, in the comment section, whether you're listening on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and we will address it again, South Carolina being able to get the win tonight, four wins in a row. And look, like I said, not the prettiest of wins, but they found a way to get it done. And that should not negate 
what we saw, even though at the end we saw a special teams, okay, the onside kick, but that should not negate what we saw from a special team standpoint. That should not negate what we saw from a defensive standpoint if you didn't like what the offense did. That's not saying, okay, forget about the offense, put it in the carpet, just screw it, just forget all about it. No, no, I'm not saying that. We can talk about that. It was not pretty at times. There were times, especially on that Rattler fumble, that made you wonder, why aren't they just giving the ball to Marshawn Lloyd in that third quarter, right? There, there were moments tonight that made you say, what's going on there? We can talk about that. That's not to say things were perfect, but it's okay to look at it and be like, holy cow, this South Carolina team who four weeks ago were one and two, they were one and two, one and two. And there were a lot of people, I'm not saying everyone here, I'm not saying everybody here. There were a lot of people though that were ready to say, okay, this team's not going to get five wins. This team's not going to become bowl eligible. This team just, just canceled the season. Shane Beamer, you know what? I don't know if he's the guy. Holy cow, what a difference. What a difference four weeks, five weeks since they had the bye makes in this one. Again, Michael Skarnecki, a former Gamecock quarterback, will be joining us shortly, but what a win for South Carolina. We'll start pulling up some of the comments tonight, and it was. What a win. Uh, that was a great team win. There are a lot of things they need to work on, but they play hard as a team and do not quit. Look, one thing we mentioned at nauseum on Gamecock Central, not just this week, but going back to last week, and even on the Believe podcast with Marcus Lattimore and Nick Klaus, talking about the importance for South Carolina to come out and have a fast start. Now, look, there's no real statistics I had to be able to throw out there to back it up, but it just felt like when you have two teams coming off a bye week, and that's what we had in this case. South Carolina was coming off a bye. Texas A&M, who played Alabama two weeks ago, were coming off a bye. It just you just feel like there's always one team that comes out just a little bit slower, right? They just have that rust on them. You didn't want to be that team. You couldn't afford to be that team. South Carolina, we've talked about this statistic before, but I'm going to continue to throw it out there. Before tonight, before tonight, in the short sample size that we have during the Beamer era, against FBS teams, South Carolina has struggled mightily against FBS teams in the first quarter. To the point where they were five and six, five and six, and they are five and six, five and six in the first quarter when they're outscored or tied, when they outscore their opponent, FBS teams, of course, in the first quarter, five and one going into tonight. Well, guess what? They're six and one now. Do you see this trend? Do you see this trend with this team? AM tonight, Kentucky two weeks ago. It's about scoring in the first quarter. And I don't care if it's offensively. I don't care if it's defensively, special teams, as we saw tonight. Just find a freaking way to get points. That doesn't mean they don't have room to improve. Again, like I said, right from the beginning, if you're just joining us, plenty of people tuning in right now. We appreciate you guys watching, wherever you guys are watching, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Again, Michael Skarnecki will be joining us shortly. He's just caught in some traffic. But what a performance tonight. Complimentary football. Xavier Leggett, think about that guy. Think about him just a couple weeks ago. I think Xavier Leggett is a perfect example. He's a microcosm of what we've seen with this football team to this point of the season. A couple weeks ago, when USC was one and two, there were so many, not everybody, there were so many people that were ready to write them off. So many. Xavier Leggett, 
Yeah, he had a crappy game against South Carolina State. There's no other way to put it. Two drops led to two interceptions. And there were a lot of people writing him off. And again, okay, it's special teams, not playing wide receiver. But the point being is you still have more football ahead of you. You still have more football ahead of you. And tonight was a great example of that because guess what? We'll get first play of the game, 100 yards to the house. Kickoff return for a touchdown. That set the tone. That changed everything. I talked about it on Gamecock Central. I talked about it on Twitter tonight from talking to people that were close, that are close to Texas A&M. The message going into today from the Aggies was we can't afford to lose to this team. And when you have that mindset, when you have that mindset and you're playing that tight, it's going to show. And it showed in this game tonight. It showed. They were playing so freaking tight. Their butt cheeks puckered up. They were tight, baby. It was tight. And South Carolina took advantage of it. We saw it on special teams, of course. Xavier Leggett, 100-yard house call. But we saw it on defense. We saw it on defense tonight. And I mentioned the play of Boogie Huntley. I'll have to go back and, and really pay attention to the second half. But especially in that first half, you could tell the difference having him back out there. It might not show up in the stat sheet in terms of having tackles, but the impact Huntley had tonight, the impact Huntley had, there were times where he took on two defenders or two, two blockers, excuse me. And that freed up some other guys, whether that be a defensive lineman, whether that be a linebacker, sometimes even on the third level, we saw Nick Eamon worry coming down and making some plays in the box. That's the impact it makes. You know, I had a college coach that sometimes we call it playing a uh, traffic cone position. You're out there and, you, and you're really, you know, to the naked eye, it looks like you're not doing anything. It looks like you're just standing there, right? Huntley did that tonight. But that's not, that, that doesn't mean he wasn't doing anything. That, that doesn't mean he was out there doing absolutely nothing. What that means is he was out there and he was taking on the blocks. And because of it, it freed up another guy to be able to make a play. That's what happened tonight. That's what happened tonight. So, again, South Carolina be able to get big win. Michael Skarnecki will be joining us shortly. Michael just texted me, just got home. He's going to hop on now. So we're going to have Scar hop on in just a minute. Keep going through some of these comments. Again, if you want to call into the program, we'll have that number up shortly. But in the meantime, in the meantime, if you want to join into the program, just shoot us a quick message in the comment section, and we will answer you or just share it. As Travis says, big win. No question about it. Big win for South Carolina. Spencer has an arm talent, but no pocket pocket awareness. I'm going to get into that more with Skarnekia. I want to bring the former quarterback in because he'll be able to explain it a hell of a lot better than I can. Um, so we will have Scar talk about that. So uh, trouble follows. I am going to put that comment to the side, and uh, we will get back to that one when he hops on. Joshua, let's go. Wish we had kicked the late field goal instead of going for it, but hey, we won anyway. Look, there were opportunities tonight that South Carolina left points on the board. No question about it. We could talk about just early in the game. Up 7 nothing, right? You have the kickoff return for a touchdown, and then you have the interception, and, and it just leads to a field goal. It leads to a field goal. Is A&M a world beater? Certainly not. But at the same time, too, this is a team that last year kicked your teeth in. They're a very good football team. So to be able to get up on them 10 nothing was huge early on. But you got to find ways to be able to capitalize – and make it 14 instead of making it 10. Joining us now, former Gamecock quarterback Michael Skarnecchia. Scar, we kind of dug into it briefly, nothing in terms of the X's and O's, but South Carolina, 
five and two for the first time since 2013. And it's crazy to say this. They're one win away now from becoming bowl eligible. And we're not even in the month of November yet. I mean, look, there are flaws with this team. I feel like we will probably continue to say this going into December. If they're playing in a bowl game, there's flaws with this team, but Holy cow. Think about where we were about a month ago, Mike, you and I talking after the game against Georgia one and two. And we kept saying, Hey, pump the brakes. No need to say that they're only going to get five wins this season. No need to say that they're not going to be bowl eligible. No need to say cancel the season, fire Beamer. He can't do the job, this and that. Slow down a little bit. What a difference a month makes. Completely. It's so funny. All the fans were ready to sell out Satterfield. What's up? Were- some, some, okay? Because we have oh, some. Right, right, right. Okay? And I know that's what you mean. I know that's what you mean. I just want to throw that out there. I just want to throw that out there. You're right. You're right. You're right. But no, Satterfield's done a good job. I think what we've talked about from those two weeks where we were facing UNC Charlotte and SC State was to establish the run and get some more guys involved. Marshawn Lloyd has taken the next steps from those games to go forward where, look at him, he's one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, we've been winning a lot of these games against big teams like Kentucky, um, A&M. Today, tonight alone, the guy was aggressive. He was, he was hitting the edges. He was breaking tackles. He was making plays, and he was bringing energy on the field. Our offense showed. You know, our passing game has been – it's been good. It hasn't been amazing. It hasn't been what a lot of people were expecting, but our run game has stepped up lately, and that's why we're winning these games. Mike, just looking at the fact – we talked about this before, and I know I talked with Perry Orth about it. Just being able to get it to a hut start, just being able to come out fast. And I know from an offensive standpoint, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about the offense because just looking at the comments, I know a lot of people want to talk about the offense, and we will. We will. We're not going to sugarcoat stuff. We'll talk about the offense. But when you're talking about complimentary football, the fact that Xavier Leggett, who a couple weeks ago, there were a lot of people that were ready to write him off. And before you hopped on, what I said was he's kind of like a microcosm of this season. There were a lot of people that looked at things saying, all right, you know, this is how it's going to be. This is it's bad or it can't fix it. And I get it. It's special teams. But Xavier Leggett, he had those two drops against SC State. They resulted in interceptions. Now, of course, it didn't cost South Carolina the game. But there were a lot of people saying, you know, bench this guy, this and that. And what happens on the first play tonight? 100-yard kickoff return. It changed everything. Absolutely everything. You know it. It doesn't matter what team you're on. From a scheme standpoint, from a script standpoint, no one, no one is envisioning the opposing team bringing a kickoff return home on the first play of the game. It changes absolutely everything. So never mind the fact that South Carolina was able to get an interception on the next drive, but you have this guy that does that on the first play of the game. And again, I just think it's a microcosm of what this season has, has, has been, which is a lot of people have counted this team out and yet they ignore the noise. They went out there and they've done their job. And that's what Xavier Leggett did in the first play tonight. Yeah, and I think that also speaks to Beamer's culture. You know, everyone was going to question, you know, is Beamer the right hire? Was Beamer really the right guy? Is Beamer really doing everything right within this program? Look at it. We started one and two. We lost two important games early on. Our team has completely bounced back. That goes to show what kind of culture he's creating and what kind of players he wants to have within his organization. 
guys who are going to fight no matter what, guys who are going to re be resilient when it comes to losses or when things aren't going right. You have a team who has that ability and guys who are buying into what he wants. But you're right. Talking about Xavier Leggett, when he got that opening, it brought a new level to that crowd. I mean, the noise was outstanding. The, the, I think another thing I was talking about at the game with some people, A&M doesn't have the offense to come back. You get up early on them, they don't have the weapons, the firepower and offense to just start putting up 30, 40 points in a game. So with us getting up early was very important to this win because our offense fell flat for about two and a half quarters until mm -hmm. that fourth quarter started happening. We don't go up early. We don't know what happens. The momentum might be with A&M. But that's why I'm glad we took advantage of what we did. We got up ahead. We, they, we knew that A&M doesn't have the, the firepower to start scoring all of a sudden. And we, even though we went stagnant, we maintained our game and defense played lights also. Let's give a shout-out to the punter. Holy crap. <laughs> I mean, he was 60. Like, it felt like a 70-yard punt every time he was putting it out there. Mike, and, and there was opportunities. There were opportunities. I'm not trying to, like, pick on guys here. I mean, this is the difference when you cover NFL, um, as I'm, I'm juggling both. But, you know, there was an opportunity for Darius Rush to down a ball inside the three-yard line. You know, he had it in his hand. It just went through his hand. I mean, there was another opportunity for a punt to be down inside the five. So you talk about and, – and Kai Kroger, and look, I did my Gamecock Central um, players, you know, midseason awards, if you will. Yeah. And I ranked the three top players, in my opinion. And I had Marshawn Lloyd, number three. I had mm -hmm. Nick Eman-Worry, number two. And I had Kai Kroger, number one. And the reason I had Kai is because, as you know, Mike, and many people that are listening, field position is so big. It is so big. And yeah. sometimes it won't stand out in comparison to a touchdown. It might not stand out in comparison to, you know, being one of the top solo tacklers in the country like Eamon Worry is. But what Kai has done, never mind the fact, of course, what he did week one with the Ray Guy Award, but just the fact of how he flips the field. Um, it, it's big. And you look at a game like tonight when the offense wasn't able to get things going early on, right? You had special teams clicking, you had some interceptions and fumbles and turnovers, right? But when you were backed up, when you were going three and out, or you weren't able to keep drives going, Kai put you in a great situation to be able to flip the field. And then, obviously, once you did that, the defense did their job. There were certain times, of course, there was fumbles, right? I mean, third quarter, the strips yeah. back on Rattler, and the defense was playing with a short field. And those things are going to happen. You're playing with short fields, sudden, cha sudden change. That stuff will happen. But what Kai has done all season, not just tonight, it is it is so valuable. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And there were times tonight, Mike, and I don't know if you felt this way. I'm sure there were fans. They wanted to go for it, whether it be, you know, fourth and two, fourth and one. But just knowing how valuable you have a punter in Kai Kroger and how it can change the field, you trust that, and you trust the way your defense was playing for the majority of the night. Yeah, and so uh, to follow up on that, my, my close buddy's in town as well, and we were talking about that today. When I was playing, um, Kurt Roper, he had a full stat breakdown of everywhere on the field and the percentage chance throughout. I think it was most college teams. He had it broken down for most or maybe SEC teams. Regardless, the statistics showed – what the likelihood percentage chance was from you to score at that certain field of the position. You know, you're back in the top 10 or you're back in the um, 10 to goal line area. Your chances of scoring on that drive dropped to like 3%. And it's, you can flip a field like you're saying, the percentages of scoring across the board are lower and lower the further you get back. And with us, you know, maybe we do go for it. Maybe we do, we get some momentum, we get the fourth down and we get the conversion on that. But 
if you don't, now you give them a minute to A&M, a short field. They might score. The game, you know, our offense wasn't doing much. Our defense was holding them, so you got to trust your defense again. Allow Kai to flip the field, put them in a low percentage chance to go down and score, and trust him. And I think that's the smart call for tonight. Again, South Carolina takes care of Texas A&M at home to improve to 5-2 and two on the year. First time since 2013 that they have won four games in a row. And once again, South Carolina will be at home next week against Missouri with an opportunity, an opportunity which is just crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy to say after, what, about 23 months ago? 23 months ago after starting the year 2-5 and five and firing your head coach and, of course, Will Muschamp, that you're in a situation to not even, not even, not even two years later to become bowl eligible for the end of October after starting the year off one and two. Yeah, it really is incredible. And I think it speaks volumes to, we talk about culture. We talk about what this program is trying to do and trying to change and all that kind of stuff. I think what it speaks more than anything is just the resiliency and how they've blocked out the noise. And Mike, you know, I've said this before. I know you went through this. This isn't a shot at the guys that you played with or the guys that were before Beamer. You know, I've been covering this team since 2016, and you probably remember some of those moments. I mean, some of the games that come to mind, I think about that Kentucky game at home. I think it was the Outback Bowl season. There were opportunities for South Carolina where it felt like a big game, right? And everything felt, and and you could feel it in the crowd. You could feel it in the city, and there was just a letdown. There was a letdown. That wasn't the case tonight. And one thing that I, I really want to give credit to, <laughs> and it's not like they – I want to give credit to the fact that they had a bye week to really gather themselves. And that's not to say they would have came out tonight and lay an egg after playing against Kentucky, but just having that bye week to really just ignore everything and just realize, all right, we won. That's great. We have confidence. But this means absolutely nothing going into the next week. And I really felt like they were able to put that behind them and they were able to come out tonight and, and do what they had to do. Yeah, I'm with you. And the good thing with bye weeks, just to talk about this is bye weeks. A lot of people think it's time for, for the senior guys. It's really a lot of film study. It's really for the young guys to get a lot of reps. And and I think right now with a lot of the injuries we have on defense and trying to get some more young guys involved in offense, the bye weeks are super important. Gets them more time on the field. Gets them more recognition of plays and feeling comfortable with what's being called. And I think you're starting to see that these young guys on the defensive side of the ball, they're playing more comfortable, playing more fluid. They're just they're filling the holes. There, there's a lot of energy, and I think that comes to just being comfortable with what's going on and understanding what the calls are, um, what calls are being made. Because if you're confused out there and you don't know what's happening, you can see a lack of confidence, and sometimes. And the young guys, you're going to see that. But I think you're starting to see a confidence in this defense, and it's showing. I mean, that's a that's a good team. They had a good run offense. And we pretty much, for the most part, shut down their pass game and for the most part shut down their run game. They couldn't find anything. If it wasn't for turnovers, they mm-hmm. probably don't put up 20 points. Or I, I think it was they put up 21. I don't think they put up 21 if we don't turn the ball over and give them a short field. Let's get right into it, Mike, because – I do want to speak about the positives that we saw tonight. We hit on some of them before, but it's hard not to talk about the offense. It, it, it It's hard not to. And it's not to be a Debbie Downer. And I, I don't know from a percentage standpoint, it's tough to say right now, just from the naked eye without going back and, and watching the film. <sighs> because 
I think it's easy to sit here and be like, all right, I disagree with 80% of the play calling. Okay. And I think I'm saying that from a fan perspective, I'm sure there's fans saying that to me, maybe 50, maybe 60. And the reason I say maybe that, and some people might be like, that's a little low. There were plays out there that they left. There's no question about that now. And that's without going back and watching the film. I I saw some plays out there. Um, I did like, what they did in that final drive that they scored on. I think there were seven plays, but what do they do for six of those plays? They ran the football. So I don't know why. And you know, this Mike, there's sometimes that you come out and the game plan is to throw the football. Um, I was a little surprised by that. Um, Again, the script may have been changed a little bit because you return a kick on the first play of the game. You had an interception on the second series and it puts you in, you know, in, uh, in a position to score. I don't know if that changes the script, uh, if you will, but I don't know. I mean, I, I thought there were things tonight that left me wondering, you know, cause, cause you're coming off a bye week. You would like to see some things tweaked. And we talked about this before. I'm sure there's some people out there that don't like the play call. And I get that. Okay. Maybe you don't like the play call. Or you don't like the scheme. Okay. But at the end of the day, if you're expecting a totally different playbook, don't hold your breath. And I think you and I both expected nothing to drastically change. But I was a little surprised that we didn't see some of those improvements. And it's not to say that, you know, you're going up against A&M. You're not going up against TikTok Tech. It's not going to be necessarily easy at times. But I just felt like there wasn't anything that said, wow, they were able to make some type of adjustments during that bye week. That was just my take. I don't know how you thought uh, about it. Maybe yeah. thought yeah, like you said, this is solely based on just feeling the game out and not able to watch the film and break it down post-game. But one thing I felt like, and we talked about this during the game, is just it felt like when the run game fell flat, we tried doing the swing balls, and those are great. That stretches the field. It tries to open up the run game. It, it makes linebackers maybe get outside the box a little bit more so they can be responsive to those swing routes. Okay. But it also feels like we'll go run, run, deep ball. Or we'll try and take these low percentage throws and you're just not doing Spencer thrives. It seems like when we're doing the mid range to short passes and it's quick one read and let the ball get out of his hands. When he does that, it looks fluid. He looks like he's making decisive decisions or he's, he's being decisive. But when we're doing these just constant long balls and they're not working and it's putting us into the third and long second and longs in the playbook. Now you're, you're stuck trying to get a play call. That's going to be, I mean, second and long is a tough and third and long. They're tough play calls. You're trying to figure out how to get to that first down and, and defense starts scheming to the point where, you know, you don't have a lot of time. They're bringing blitzes or they're playing some type of man coverage and it's hard for people to get open. You got to make a perfect throw. And so I think when the offense fell flat is when we just started focusing on these big shot plays running the run game was and let's mind you. A&M has a very good defense. When they started slowing our run game down, you thought that was going to happen at some point for at least a little bit. But they stuck with it. The run game came back in the fourth quarter. But I think also they got rid of those long game, the long pass, because the long pass just wasn't there much tonight. You know, we were dropping it or um, or we didn't have time in the pocket. But I just feel like Satterfield needs to get away from just constantly relying on that deep ball. And that's just how I felt from the game is, is we weren't doing what we talked about in the bye weeks, working over the middle. But I will say that he started getting the tight ends more involved. Stogner was very involved tonight. Bell, while he didn't have his best game, they were getting him involved and trying to find ways to get him um, the ball, whether it's crossing across the middle during man coverage or. So you noticed that tonight, Mike? 
I, I noticed that. Did you think that? I thought I thought I did. Re- the reason I'm asking you that, and that's not to be like a wise ass. The reason I bring that up is because I'm sure there's some people that don't feel that way. And I've said this before. I've said this before. And again, I'll have to go back and watch the film to really get. And I, you know, there's certain plays that you see. I felt like there were times earlier in the year, and I'll use Bell, and I think Bell Bell's a big boy. I think he can handle this. There were times that he wasn't creating separation. I also felt there were times with Josh Van. I felt that with times with some other players. And I'm sure they'd be the first ones to tell you they could have done a better job with that. Does that mean that was the issue overall? No, there were times that Rattler just didn't throw it to them. I mean, that that happens. Um, but I, I say all that because it was good to be able to see some of that stuff tonight. And that goes back to trying to put a percent on it. And uh, it's funny because, you know, covering Belichick now each week, Belichick says, I hate putting percentage on things. And the reason why is because it's like, how are you going to do that, especially without, you know, watching the film? So, again, seeing what we saw tonight, there were opportunities to be able to hit Bell across the middle. They tried to do some of them. They weren't able to co- convert. There were some that they hit. There were some that they just totally missed. Um, but I think they were there. I think they or at least attempted to try to make that improvement. Um, and I felt like they they tried and just in general to get the tight ends more involved. We saw that with Stogner a couple times. Um, I just, I don't know. I mean, what's the best way to word it? Because I think some people want to just say, all right, it's a bleep show. Um, You know, this guy's got to go or this or that. It's not going to happen right now. It's just not. If you're looking for, it's just not going to happen. And that's not to say, you know, who's right or who's wrong. It's just, it's just not going to happen. This is what they're working with. Um, What's the best way to 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 classify, if you will, um, what you're seeing, Mike? Is it a lack of rhythm? Is it a lack of consistency? Um, maybe lack's not the right word, but I mean, when you see this offense, what's just what's just coming to your mind? Um, outside of the receivers, let's just let the, solely the tight ends. I yep. think it's been a lack of trust. I think this game, and I don't know what happened in the off season, but. From last season to this season, they don't seem to trust Bell as much as they would. Otherwise, they would find and scheme ways to get him the ball. They, they seem to be getting the ball to other players and trying to scheme it that way. So it makes me wonder, has there been a lack of trust? Has something happened where they just they don't believe he's now the guy that they need to always go to and scheme around? But I think for tonight, with Stogner was a big step forward. I think Satterfield can now look at this game and be like, we can trust him on the outside. We can trust him over the middle, blocking. He seems to be a, a whole package. And... Sometimes you need to, you know, you instill that trust in your coach and it takes one game to do it. And maybe we'll see more with it. But I think with our receivers, they're explosive. I think they make contested catches. They need to probably keep working at making contested catches if we're going to go forward and continually win games with the the stretch we have right now in the SEC play. Um, But, you know, with offense, we talk about Spencer, too. I, I want to know. I want to watch the film and see. Is he truly seeing the field or is it a one read, two read, scramble and try and find somebody? Because there are times when I don't know if he's choosing the right side or if he's being told to look at something, if he's just not seeing it, what the case may be, if it's not time. And it's hard to put all that right now into, into consideration and figure out what the issue is. But there are times people are getting open and our receivers are getting separation. They're making contested catches. Why aren't we able to find that offensive production in the passing game. And that's Speaking that's of, I and, going, and going to passing game to run game, you know, we talked about this before. Sometimes the game plan could be to throw the football. 
I was kind of shocked about it, especially considering the fact that Texas A&M, I believe they came into tonight's game as one of the worst rush, rush defenses in the country. I believe it was 113. Um, I'll double check that real quick uh, before I move on to my next point. But I say that because for a team that has struggled, 114th, excuse me, came into tonight's game 114th, allowing just shy of 190 yards rushing a game. I didn't get it. And, and I felt like, based on what we've seen from South Carolina, Mike, and this is just my take on it, it's not just necessarily running the football, which South Carolina was able to start doing more in the game, uh, 35 times, 118 yards. Marshawn had 18 carries for 92 yards and two touchdowns. There was a period of time, though, where he had, I think it was like four carries for 15 yards, and it was just like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. But I, I say that because it does seem like – it was kind of surprising and I don't know. I mean, we're, we're here. We're just, you know, we're talking about the game and I'm not trying to put the tinfoil around my head, but I mean, I don't know. Do you, is this maybe a case of trying to be too cute, trying to outsmart the defense? Cause you feel like, all right, they're going to be planning for two weeks, knowing that we want to run the football. Like, I just don't get it. It seemed like it was a no brainer to try to run the football. Number one, because you've been having success. You, were, you, you rushed for 211 yards combined in the first three games. You were able to do that times three in the last three, over 600 yards in the last three games. On top of that, we saw the playbook start to evolve a little bit. You were able to add some play action. We saw some rollouts. Um, we were also able to see some RPOs, just the extension of the run game. And because of that, we saw teams bring an extra guy down in the box, and the passing lane started to open up a little bit. And we saw that especially in the second half against Kentucky last uh, two weeks ago with Rattler. So I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm just like, what the hell is going on? I mean, can you make any sense of it for us? I mean, let's let's talk about this comment you have put up right here with those three passing plays we had when we were, I think it was right off a turnover or something happened. We were right in the top in the 10-yard line Yep, in the red zone. We go three pass plays. Everyone, the fans were booing. Everyone was upset because, like, why didn't we run the ball? Well, sometimes let's think about this. You know, when the offensive coordinator and the offensive staff is is game planning for this game, maybe they've seen in past film against AM that those certain plays worked against them almost every time. And so they implemented them, thinking they were going to work this time. Teams make adjustments. Teams also try and attack those pre-adjustment um, defenses that they were in the past. And so maybe those plays worked and they were like, let's try them out and see what happens. In hindsight, I guarantee Satterfield's going to say we probably should have rushed it. <laughs> it's easy to now look back on and say we should have done this. But they probably in the game plan because it was one of the first series, they probably had red zone gameplay that they knew they were going to call these specific plays because they've worked in the past. And let's let's try it at A&M early on. And they didn't work. And guess what? We didn't do them again. We moved on. We learned. And while we did fall stagnant, we weren't in the red zone like that very often so we couldn't see exactly what he did but when we did we started rushing the ball and what happened we scored we got we were moving the ball so people need to understand that sometimes what's called is because they're thinking it's going to work and when they don't the coaches will make adjustments and Satterfield did what did you like tonight because we talked about some of the things maybe some of the looks across the middle even though they might not necessarily stand out just because the execution wasn't there consistently aside yeah. from that Mike is there anything else that really stood out to you tonight from an offensive standpoint that you did like? Because I know it's easy to look at and be like, all right, look. And, that, and that, again, I just want to make this clear. This isn't to defend Satterfield. This isn't to defend the offensive play call. This is just trying to be like, hey, look, 
bottom line is, yeah, there's still some flaws. There's still some flaws in special teams for crying out loud. South Carolina has the best, in my opinion, the best special team unit in the country. You don't think they're going to get pissed off about what happened at the end of the game. You're out of your freaking mind. They're going to talk more about that than anything else. Xavier will get 100 yard kickoff return. Mike, you've been there as nice as, as nice as that was. They're going to be pissed off about what happened at the end of the game. Why? Because it gave AM an opportunity to win it at the end. So I yeah. say that because yes, there's flaws with this offense, there's flaws, but this is the scheme. It's not going to change. If you're just expecting the offensive coordinator just to go poof right now in the middle of this season where they are five and two, it's just not going to happen. So what can they build off of? What was good tonight? And that's why I'm asking Mike that question. Yeah, obviously, let's stick with it. Let's stick with the run game. That's been good these past several weeks. we got to keep going at it. Marshawn Lloyd has been a different person in the second half of this season, so we have to keep rushing the ball. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not working early on, you can't just get away from it and rely on the pass game. Marshawn is an important aspect of this offense and us having any type of offensive production. Second thing is, I think we need to keep – I think we need to keep getting the tight ends involved. You know, Josh Van, it was good to see Josh Van have a good game today. I think he's been quiet for the most part throughout the whole season. Uh, he made some contested catches today on the outside, um, and Wells continually looks good. But I think from a standpoint, we we do a good job of stretching the perimeter. We do a good job, even though I think we are excessive with taking shots. We keep the defense honest with taking shots. And we have players who will sometimes make those plays and it's, it, you know, one important aspect of whether a team wins or not is big shot plays, and that's 20 yards or more. And I think Satterfield tries to attack that. And so that can be an important aspect for whether we're going to win games or not. But I think that the positive, obviously, is run game. We have to continue with that. We need to continue to get the tight ends involved. They're mismatches for most defenses. And I think, again, that showed tonight. So I think if we start, if we continually focus on a run game, allow that to continually grow, find ways to get our tight ends the ball, whether that's Bell or Stogner. Those guys are both athletes. They're mismatches for defenses. They don't know how to put a linebacker, a DB. They don't know what to do with them. And so it could be a great way to scheme around beating a defense. And the last thing is we just need to find – I don't know if it's we need to simplify the game plan for Spencer or what, but it looks like when things are quick – he, he's able to get the ball out and make good decisions and move us down the field. But when it's a long developing play, I think a lot of us can say that it looks like, I don't know if he's lost out there, if, if the first read's not there, if he gets confused, whatever the case may be, whether our offensive line's not holding up, the long developing plays seem to not be working. So we need to adjust that. But other than that, the offense seems to be moving in a, in a positive direction. And I want to hit on the offensive line, for example. And I know you don't judge it based off just sacks. I know there's a lot more that goes into it. We can talk about rushing. We can talk about just giving your quarterback enough time. And, Mike, you know this better than a lot of people that are here tonight because you play the position at quarterback and you understand how important an offensive line is and what needs to happen in order for it to be successful and what deems it uh, necessarily to be uh, successful. But just strictly speaking about sacks, because I know that stands out to a lot of people. First two games of the season, Georgia State and Arkansas, nine sacks allowed. Nine. Okay? Nine. Since then, since then, South Carolina, one, two, three, four, five, five games, they've allowed five sacks. Two tonight. Two this week, two last week against Kentucky. Five. Five sacks. I even said it against Georgia. 
which they didn't allow any sacks. I didn't feel like that was the reason why South Carolina lost. Now, that's not to say that they were incredible. They're all Americans across the board. What I'm trying to get at, though, is the offensive line going back to last season. We heard so much, and we talked about it, Mike, you and I, about the struggles they had with just zone blocking. And it went back to last season. And just the the word that we heard from some of the guys that were close to the program or inside the building, um, just relaying that, some of the stuff I said, Mike, I just want to make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth and people are understanding that you didn't say this, but that there were, there were, there were growing pains with it. They had struggles because they did so much man blocking and it was just a challenge for them. That's not the issue right now. It's just not when the offense isn't clicking Yes, some of that falls back on play calling. Yes, some of that falls back on just execution, whether it be the quarterback, whether it be the receiver. That's not to say the, the offensive line is playing perfect every single play, but it just feels like with the offensive line, when we talk about the improvement, like Chuck says, I just feel like they're just more comfortable. And I think that's why they're playing better. I don't want to say they're playing elite. Yes, we saw, I believe it was uh, Gwen. Two weeks ago against Kentucky, he was named the SEC Offensive Player of the Week. As you know, Scar, that doesn't happen unless the entire offensive line's playing well. Because if the offensive line's playing like crap, they're not going to be able to find a way to single out one guy. Wow, he was doing a really good. You know what? He graded out in the film that this week that well. It doesn't happen that way when it comes to conference awards. So I just think it speaks volumes of what we've seen from this offensive line as a whole. And it just feels like they're just more comfortable with what they're doing. Now it comes down to obviously, okay, play calling. Maybe, you know, we can talk about that, but more importantly, just the execution of everything. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we talked about this with going into those two weeks with SC state and UNC Charlotte, we want to see the O line take a step forward. And it, a lot, a lot of it honestly is just trust within the group. If those guys can trust each other, the person to the left or right of them and the QB can trust them and they want to play hard for the QB you're going to have guys, you're going to see a lot more confidence and confidence. Honestly, for the most part, it shows play. It gives players an extra boost. It allows them to play to a next level. And I think you're seeing that when they saw our run game start to be developed with a lot of these against these teams with Kentucky, A&M, with SC State. When I think our O-line started to see positives, it gave them confidence to be like, you know what? We can do this. I can play better. And we're seeing it. They're giving Spencer time. They're giving our, run backs whole, our running backs holes to get um, to cut through and and get those yards that we need to get the first downs. But I think we're finally seeing our O-line take that step forward. I mean, even in long developing plays, fans need to understand, long developing plays, if, if they're giving Spencer 2.2 2 or more seconds, that's a, good, that's a good amount of time to get a ball out of your hands, find somebody open. And I think for the most part, they're doing that now. And they're allowing Marshawn and the other running backs to find the holes. And they're obviously, I think Satterfield and the scheme they're putting up is allowing this to happen bringing tight ends to maybe bring in an extra blocker, zone, um, zoning the, the line a certain way. And and honestly, maybe it comes down to Spencer too. Spencer might yeah. be allowing, he might be calling the offensive line to pick up the blitzes the right way, where in the beginning of the season, he might have been missing stuff. Yep. And he's studying film hard. I don't know what the case is, but they're playing better. And I think people are noticing it. Mike, I'm glad you brought that point up because, again, it's it's difficult unless you're in that room and know exactly what they're trying to do from a call standpoint. But I said this last year that it's really easy just to blame the offensive line every single time. And that's not to say the offensive line didn't have their issues last year. We saw it last year. But that's not to – what I'm trying to get at is 
what we saw last year from the offensive line, it wasn't all on them. There were times, even though from the naked eye, when you're watching it at home without being in the meeting rooms, without knowing exactly what the hell the call was, there were times, and I had conversations with people, again, close in that program, inside that locker room, that, yeah, there were times with the quarterback, and it was quarterback roulette last year, so it's not shocking that this happened, that they would misidentify the mic linebacker. And you know that. If you misidentify who the mic is, it changes up the entire blocking scheme. Or there were times where the tight end didn't pick up a block or a running back missed a block. And what happens? Well, oh, it's easy to blame the offensive line. You know, so I say that because they took a beating all offseason. They took a beating all offseason. They were returning their entire unit back. Returning six guys, really, when you think about it, um, in terms of just depth, too, um, in terms of starters. You know, yeah, I understand you have your five, but you also have Wanham in there who has start, who started games before in the past. So I say that because – it, it, a lot of people on the outside didn't look at it necessarily as a strength. They looked at it as a weakness. They felt like the offensive line was their weakest point. They have proven that's not the case. I, I do want to switch things up, though, Mike, because we've talked so much about the offense. And I do want to talk about some more positives tonight because there were so many. And sure. to be able to get back to 5-2 and two, uh, for the first time in, in, in a long time and to be able to get their first four-game winning streak since 2013. One thing that needs to be talked about is Pete Lembo. Um, again, it's funny because we were talking about this. I'm sure Lembo is not going to be as happy as some people will assume he will be tonight because I'm sure he's going to be pissed off about what happened on that onside kick at the end of the game. Yeah. And that is something that I can promise you they will spend a lot of time at uh, working on. I can tell you this. Lembo has slides for every special teams unit, right? We're talking about punt block. We're talking about punt return. In addition to that, uh, we're talking about kickoff return, uh, kickoff, all that kind of stuff, right? He has, I'm trying to think how many pages. And this is something that I know because he gave it to my dad. He gave my dad a walkthrough on kickoff return um, because my dad is with high school. I think there was over almost 200. So there was over 100 slides on kickoff return. So I bring that up because when you watch that tonight with Xavier Leggett, it's real easy to look at Leggett. And that's not to take away what he did. You need to be athletic. You need to have speed. You need to have vision. But it really goes down to what they work on. And some people might recall this, and they see it during some of the spring games, and they're just like, what the hell are they doing? And, Mike, you might remember this. Um, from watching this year and even going back to last year, they would they would change things up in the middle of and they, you know you know Mike it's called sudden change. Yeah, they would do their sudden change period where they'd work on some special teams. And during spring games and Mike again for people that just don't get it, you're not going to do as much live special teams work. So you want to be able to get some work in. So you saw special teams work where guys were just running back and they were practicing running on a line and. It's incredible just the terminology that South Carolina uses and how they simplify things. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's funny because I have conversations with other special teams coordinators on all levels, whether it be in the NFL, whether it be Division One, whether it be um, D1AA, FCS, even D2. South Carolina does something that you would feel like every team in the country does, but they don't. 
the same terminology they use from a blocking standpoint or from a tackle, whatever they use, right, on defense and offense, they call it the same thing on special teams. They simplify things. So when they talk about being able to get to a block point, it's the same exact way they word it when they do it from an offense. There's some special teams coaches out there that like to reinvent the wheel on special teams. So I'm bringing all this up because when you see that play, it's real easy to look at Leggett. But these are the little things that South Carolina has worked on outside of the fact of, okay, you have Lembo, you have Shane Beamer. These are the things that are make what makes them great special teams coordinators. Sometimes it's just being really freaking simple. And we saw that tonight, Mike. And to be able to see them go out there and just, whether it be the punt blocks, whether it be the kickoff return tonight for a touchdown, th- there's no other way to put it. And you mentioned about Kai. South Carolina is not 5-2 and two today if they don't have the type of performances they've had on special teams to this point of the season. No, I completely agree. And the whole rundown of special teams that you just gave is completely accurate. I think – now, obviously, was never being a quarterback. I was never involved with all the special teams and the meetings that went on with them. But I did hear a lot of call-outs when, when special team periods were happening during practices – there's a lot of verbiage that I couldn't understand. And I was like, what are these guys talking about? Like everyone was assigned a different number and they can make it so complex. And when you're trying to have these guys run back, turn around, pick up their blocks and try and have all that worked out for yep. kickoff return, punt returns, everything, it's complex. And like you said, if he's making it simple, there's a reason you're seeing success on our um, special teams teams on both the punt, kick return, kick off, all of it. If he's simplifying our players, our understanding what their assignments are, who they're supposed to be picking up, and he attacks, um, Pete attacks the weak points of the defense, especially on punt block. I mean, there's a reason we have so many punt blocks against all these teams throughout the season. (laughs) He knows where the weak points are. He establishes a simplified game plan for the players to understand what their assignment is, and they attack it. And I think that's so important. When you start making things so complex and all of these different words and language that's supposed to go with a play call and pointing out different players, these guys are, get confused. They have to understand. Most of them play both sides of the ball. You know, They play offense or defense. So they have to know all that on top of this. Things can get you know, a little cloudy, a little confusion, in the heat of the game. You forget what one thing is. You don't want that. You want special teams to be very simplified, and I think it's important, like you said. And so I just wanted to follow up with that and say that I, I never played, so I can't give a true insight. But from what I saw from the outside looking in when I was in practices and, and listening, it seemed complex. And if Pete's making it simple, it's obviously showing. And I, and I want to bring that stuff up sometimes because, look, don't get me wrong. These guys, Lumbo and Beamer, they understand special teams inside and out. And they have tremendous analysts, too. I, I want to bring that up there. They have some great assistants on staff too that just don't get the recognition just because naturally you have the Beamer name, you have Lembo, they're going to get all the, the credit. But obviously it starts with them. And the other thing too, we talk about simplifying things. And the reason why I really want to hit on special teams because there's no other podcast, there's no other show right now really explaining why South Carolina has had success on special teams the way that they have. Number one, which we just mentioned, is simplifying things. But the other thing, too, is and it goes back to simplifying a little bit, knowing that you don't have that much time in practice. Yes, Beamer and Lembo, they're going to spend more time on special teams than maybe some other programs. Every program spends time on special teams. But how much time do they devote to it? 
South Carolina probably devotes more time than the majority of the other teams in FBS. But at the same time, too, you don't have the time to be able to be, I mean, there's no other way to put it, just dicking around. So what they do is, and I've noticed this, again, going back to my college days, watching other schools, and I'm not saying, because other I've seen other teams do this. I've seen other teams do this, but the way that they, they're they they're efficient during their special teams period, right? If they're practicing kickoff return, if they're practicing punt return, if they're practicing returns, not blocking, but returns, not trying to block the kid. Instead of working, right, 50 yards, 60 yards apart and having guys run down the field, they just condense it. They condense it to like a 30-yard um you know, situation where you're just running back and it just practices doing what ultimately what you're trying to do, just block someone or trying to be able to find your guy and try to work in unison with the guy next to you. So the reason why I want to bring all this up is because no one's talking about this. We just talk about, oh, yeah, Beamer ball. Oh, yeah, Lumbo ball. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Well, why the hell is it working? This isn't like people aren't really talking about it. And I'm sure some people, you know, it's kind of like chicken nuggets at McDonald's where some people aren't going to give a shit. They're not going to care how it's made. It's like, wow, that's pretty good. But for the people that are curious about it, that's why. Simplifying things, being able to just maximize the time that you do spend on special teams and you're not playing grab ass. You're not wasting time where, and Mike, you've probably been out there and it doesn't happen just on special teams. It happens on offense. It happens on defense. It happens on good on good periods where sometimes you're out there and it's just like, you know, what the hell we're doing? You know, let's run that back. And because you got to do that, in the grand scheme of things, it might not seem like that big of a deal, but you are missing an opportunity maybe to work on something else, depending on how much time you have to spend on that. Yeah, I know when we were in practice, we only had one, two, maybe three special teams periods. It wasn't many. And those are five to 10 minute periods. So you're maybe getting through 30 minutes a day in special teams working on that. And there's a reason I remember when when Pete was first hired, there's a lot of people like, oh, we really want to spend this much money on a special teams coordinator. Is it worth it? Should we put our money elsewhere? I think he's showing his money. I think he's showing his worth to a lot of game cognition. And honestly, it, even though it's a hypothetical, do we win a lot of these games if he's not our coordinator? You know, we're turning the ball over. We're getting these turnovers and with short field, we're returning kickoffs. There's a lot of things going right. Our kicker's playing great. Our punters are playing great. And a lot of it probably is attributed to their, you know, their athletic skill, but a lot of it also is Pete and he's done a great job with it. And if we continually go forward, it's a, there's a reason it's one of the most important. It's a third of the entire game. It's an important aspect of the game and you have to be successful at it if you want to win games. And we are, we have been successful at special <laughs> teams. And I think, you know, that's one definitely highlight, but I think another highlight on top of special teams has been our defense tonight. Yep. No, the defense has certainly been good. And, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of questions coming in here, and I want to hit on as many things as we can. We're going to probably wrap this up in the next couple minutes, though, keep it to an hour um, before we wrap things up. And I do want to go back to a question because we had one person that actually, uh, Josh, he actually sent us $5 to ask this question. Seeing what has worked throughout the season, were you pleased with the offensive game plan tonight? I'm going to defer that to you, Mike. Um, and I'll have my thoughts on the on the uh, on the backside of that. Overall, I'm probably going to say no, not tonight. If it wasn't for the fourth quarter and some of the turnovers, our offense did not look good tonight. There really wasn't much to it. We weren't driving the ball. A lot of the a lot of the drives were kept alive by big plays. 
it's not like we were able to nickel and dime it the entire field. And I think it's because we weren't even trying to nickel and dime it. It, it seemed like once our run game went stagnant, we tried going for the big shots and that wasn't there. Our receivers just weren't coming up with the ball a lot of times tonight. And, you know, sometimes that happens, but you have to adjust as an offense coordinator. I think overall, from an offense standpoint, it wasn't a very successful day. But we found enough grit and we found enough determination to find ways and to score points. And our run game finally came alive. And, you know, shout out to the offensive line and Marshawn Lloyd for finding that way. to. And honestly, Satterfield. Satterfield obviously made adjustments in, in, in the middle of the game, seeing – Something wasn't working. He started doing those motions where he would motion the guy out and then come back in and, and do kind of a, um, a counter play with both the guard yep. and the tight end. Those guys, those were successful. I think we scored on one. We got a huge runoff one. Yeah, you know, he was finding ways to help the offensive line out if we weren't able to find out. Um, but the pass game is going to have to come alive at some point. Like it, it just seems way too inconsistent right now. It seems that the big shots aren't there. We can't seem to come alive in the short game. And I don't know what the answer is, but we need to find one, especially going in with – we have a tough tough slate still. We still have Missouri, Tennessee, Florida, and then Clemson. It's not like these these are layup cake teams we're going to be easy getting easy wins with. So if we can't find that offensive production in the short and mid game when our run game isn't thriving early on, it's going to be a long stretch. I think Satterfield and Satterfield, honestly, he he's proved me wrong too. He's made some good adjustments in game. What about this question, Mike? What about this? You know, Rob says, what do you think about Spencer and him leaving the pocket too early? He misses a lot of open receivers by running early. I, I think, and, and you would know better than me, I'm sure some of that's by design where they want to get him out of the pocket, but I'm sure some of it too is, you know, timing. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the year when you have the offensive line. And look, the offensive line was struggling early on. The offense was struggling early on nine sacks allowed the first two weeks. The timing wasn't there in terms of that pocket presence, knowing, okay, when do I step up in the pocket? When do I get out? Cause you're playing with the new offensive line. I don't know if you necessarily agree with this comment, Mike, but can you make sense of it regardless of, um, you know, maybe yeah, what the thought process is, you know, when I was watching the game today, if he chose the right side and he was on time, the receivers were open. Mm-hmm. and he was looking at the other side. And you know what? That may be because, in his mind, the coverage was a certain coverage, and that's the side that's supposed to beat that coverage, and that's why he went there. And if he would have went the other side, the pass would have been there. And so you see him scrambling. Maybe he's choosing the wrong side. Maybe the defense got him, and they got a certain coverage that he thought they were in a different coverage, and so he chose the wrong side, and that one wasn't open. Those routes weren't open against that coverage. Mm-hmm. It's There's so many moving parts to say whether he – is just leaving the pocket too early. It may be the defensive confusion. It may be that the receivers just end up not getting open. And he's not going to force a ball that's not there. Or maybe sometimes they, the O-line breaks down and they're getting to him. There's so many factors, and I can't just say it's one. So it's hard to say. But I, I definitely think that the O-line has him playing better. So if it's him leaving the pocket, it's either because he feels pressured and he's trying to get out or – that's just, you know, that's probably what it is. He just feels the pressure, feels the clock going off in his head, and he's got to get out. And make sure I get to our ad reads here because without having them, well, we wouldn't be able to do these shows. And Gamecock Central is very appreciative, starting with our guy Clint Hammond. 
over at the Mortgage Network, Clint is going to be able to help you out. The crazy time right now to go buy a home and Clint can make that process easy for you. We had Perry Orth on here who has said that, well, when he was getting a new home, Clint was the guy that he turned to. So give Clint a call and he'll be able to make that much easier. And speaking about being able to things make things easier on you, right? Tax season, it feels like it's one of those things that you got to be constantly thinking about throughout the year, at least in preparation or getting ready for it, whatever the case may be. Hit up the guys over at Liberty Tax. They'll be able to help you overcome that tax ID. Call 803-462-5576. Again, that is Liberty Tax. They will help you take care of all that tax ID as you get ready to take care of your taxes. I want to be able to go through this thing. Rapid fired, Mike. We'll do um, we do have so many people that have sent questions in and comments, and we really do appreciate it. And hopefully we'll be able to uh, pop every single one up here. We appreciate it. Um, <laughs> this guy does a good game analysis. Yankees know their football. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. Cowboy. Um, we try to pretend like we know what we're doing. We're just fortunate that uh, our father was a football coach, or else I wouldn't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, Mike, as I'm bringing these things up rapid fire, <laughs> I do want to say this is Mike. Hey, guys, so glad we pulled off the win. Special teams and defense saved us again. Yeah, no question. No question about it. We're not going to, to hit on every single one of them. I do want to bring this up. I do want to bring this up. Um, the crowd. The crowd was awesome. I have a video. I wish I could share it right now. Intern Joe, he's MIA. I hope he's going to be – I hope he's okay. Um, haven't heard from Intern Joe. Talked to him earlier. That's why we don't have any calls going on right now. But hopefully Intern Joe's okay. But there's a video, and I'll share that on Gamecock Central – the field goal post was shaking the majority of the night. I was sitting in the Cockaboos Club. Shout out to our buddy Cox by 90 providing the tickets since uh, we have credentials, but the interns are using them. I'm not going to come back down here whenever I come back in town and take that. It's just that wouldn't be right. I'm not going to do that. Um, and I can do the post game show. Everything works out. So I was sitting in the Cockaboos Club, was able to mix in more than just the water. Uh, and we were able to see that field goal post just shaking. So to answer your uh, question, Joey, the place was absolutely electric. Uh, speaking about electric, I want another monsoon game next week for Missouri. How about that, Scar? Scar, Missouri is a team that South Carolina should beat. They should beat. Sure. But at the same time, too, it just, it just seems like it's always a good game. Um, I don't know how much you've paid attention to Missouri this year, but you just know what that game's like coming off a win like tonight, feeling good about yourself, five and two against a team that you should beat. What the hell would your message be to this team right now before they take on Missouri next week? I mean, they got to keep this train rolling, but the message to the team is we just got to keep building on what we've been doing every single week. With these wins, you know, you can't get complacent. You got to look at the flaws and just move forward. But Missouri, what you got to tell them, too, is this this game is very important for Missouri because they're a three win team. They're three and four, I believe. Um, and so if they win this game, it's a turnaround game for them to become bowl eligible because they might find two pickup wins in the rest of the season. But if they don't win this game, they're probably not made, reaching a bowl. So this mm -hmm. team, Missouri is going to come in. They know how important it is for them to try and win this game so they can go to a bowl game. So you got to be ready. They're going to come up fired. They're going to be fired up. They're going to be ready to play. So we have to go out there. And I think at this point, because of how fired they're probably going to be, knowing how important this game is to their season, we have to put them out early. The crowd's got to be live, but we got to put up points early, and I think that's got to be the goal. 
to answer this question by Lord, who's more important? I mean, Mike, I don't know if you necessarily agree with me. We don't have to necessarily spend a lot of time on this. I put my mid-season out. Um, I didn't have Spencer in there. If you want to throw Spencer out there, I would have Spencer as number three, and then I'd have Marshawn number two, and then Kai number one. I know it might sound crazy um, to put the punter in front of the guy that is scoring more touchdowns than the majority of the conference, but I, I like what Kai's doing that much. I, I wouldn't just put a guy on special teams ahead of, of Marshawn. No, don't get me wrong. Mar- it's difficult for me not to put Marshawn at one, but just looking at what – I think my big thing with this is Mike is this, and I know it's deeper than just Kai. You can talk about Mitch Jeter. You can talk about Xavier Leggett tonight. You can talk about the block punts. South Carolina is not five and two if it's not for their special teams. No. I don't know if South Carolina is five and two if they don't have Kai Kroger because I just feel like from a, a a field situation, just how he flips the field, I just think he's that valuable. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool Aid on that. Um, I I don't know. I don't get excited for punters that often. But Kai Kroger's got me got me excited. No, Kai's fantastic. And honestly, it's hard to even put someone at number two. I would go 1A, 1B with him and Marshawn. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, one last thing, too, before we wrap things up here. South Carolina, big game next week again. Again, 23 months ago, 2-5, and five, no head coach. No head coach. They had just fired Will Muschamp. South Carolina has an opportunity to become bowl eligible before the end of the month of October. So I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to, this is not to say that there's no flaws. I'll be a broken record, but holy cow. If you think that this program is not heading in the right direction, I don't know what the hell to tell you. I mean, look, go grab yourself a drink, sit back, have a stogie. I don't know what to tell you. Relax. It's okay. Um, Celebrate this win tonight. And not just celebrate this win, but celebrate our old Michael Skarnakia passing the bar. Congratulations, buddy. Just Appreciate saw that. that i throw that out there before we wrap things up. So if you guys need a lawyer, Michael Skarnakia, you're going to be doing it soon. I mean, you're ready to go now, right? What's the deal? I'm good to go, man. Full-blown lawyer now. So I don't know if I can actually promote myself. So if you want to keep doing it, you go ahead. <laughs> All right. We'll find ways. I mean, we'll – I mean, it's the NIL. This is like the five-year uh, <laughs> too late NIL, NIL from Michael Skarnacki. Hey, folks, we appreciate you tuning in tonight. If you missed any of our program, you can go over to Gamecock Central's YouTube page. You can watch it from the very beginning. And in addition to that, we will have this up on GamecockCentral.com. We'll also have it on our podcast, too, on Gamecock Central. We appreciate you guys tuning in tonight. Mike, appreciate you hopping on with us. I know it wasn't easy getting stuck in traffic because Joey wanted to get a corn dog after the win. But you know what? Getting corn dogs after a win, not a bad deal. Not at all. No, no, no. They're way sweeter and better than. Appreciate you having me. All right, South Carolina, 5-2, and two, back in action next week at home against Missouri. That game is going to be in the afternoon, 4 o'clock. So tune in for that as the Gamecocks look to be able to get to win number six and become bowl eligible before freaking Halloween. How about that? Have yourselves a good Friday night, Saturday night. I don't even know what night it is anymore, but you know what? Go mix in a water and enjoy the night and enjoy your Sunday. As South Carolina enjoys a big, big win tonight, their first win against Texas A&M in program history. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, It's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. 
Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. 